I am Rich Ash and this is Flicks and Scoops, the podcast that forces guests to eat ice cream I've made inspired by a film of their choosing. It's the last one of the year. 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 This episode was a while in the making, but I finally managed to sit down with Lorenzo Mazziu. He picked out Favalache by the Dinicenzo brothers who were making quite the rumblings in the indie scene. For this one, I went with a classic Fiorda Latte Gelato, the recipe for which you can find on flicksandscoops.com. Ho, 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 spoiler warning. If you haven't seen Favalache already, then I suggest you do so. And even if you have seen it before, watch it again, or Ant and Deck will call you out on national telly. As is tradition, here's this episode's Zany Miscellany, some miscellaneous information about actor Billy Zane. Zany Miscellany. Billy grew up in relative affluence. The pursuit of art was encouraged in the Zane house. Expected, even. Oh, wow. If you want to get involved in some Zany miscellany, then link up at Flicks and Scoops on any other socials or email contact at flicksandscoops.com. Right, let's just get on with it. Flicks and Scoops, episode 21. Now it's time for ice cream. All right, Flicks and Scoops, my next guest has made a habit of living his life as impolitely as possible. Uh, Today today I'm hoping he's on his best behaviour, if nothing else is to not offend my fucking mother. Please welcome to the show, Lorenzo Muzi. (laughs) That was great. (laughs) Did I say your name right? (laughs) So my name is Muziu. But it's fine. You, you you pronounce it actually almost correctly. Thanks, almost, I tried. <laughs> wow, what an introduction. Thank you very much for inviting me here. Pleasure. Two years in the making. Two years in the making. <laughs> and uh, the movie that we're going to talk about today is already old, but it's a classic. It's the first time I've produced outside of my home. And Lorenzo's lucky enough to be the first person to be recording with me in Backhouse, where we still haven't sorted out the acoustics yet. So... <laughs> Let's and see how it goes. It's great, really. Congratulations. It's Thanks, an amazing man. place. Um, so Lorenzo is the founder and managing director of Impolite, which is a creative production house composed of filmmakers, photographers, and creatives. And the company's based here in Berlin, but it's got its fingers in the worldwide pie. <laughs> do you just want to tell us a bit about Impolite and what you do there? Wow, yeah. Um, so basically, like three years ago or so, I thought that... Uh, it would have been amazing to to find a way to to combine the world of uh, movies with the world of advertising. So I wanted to I wanted to really find a way to approach advertising and brands with uh, with narrative ideas. So thought what 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 can be the shape of of something like this? And I thought that yeah, creating uh, a streamline between brands and the actual creators of the content. Uh, can potentially be one of the ways. And so I started Impolite and I thought at the very beginning, the name Impolite was actually because of this. So don't tell the agencies, but yeah, like I'm Impolite because I'm jumping them. Or like <laughs> in, in theory, I really love them. I love you guys. <laughs> You're great. Um, but yeah, the, um, that was the big, that was the big idea behind Impolite. So at the beginning I started as a, as a production, mainly like a service production house. Uh, and then, uh, slowly it, be- it became just like something, something more and something bigger. And now we finally are working on the projects that we wanted to work on since the very beginning. So we basically speak either directly with the, with, with a brand or an agency that needs to have some creative support and then production support. And we can work on strategy. We can work on trend scouting mm. as well. Or we are actually also producing our original content. So we developed uh, together with uh, my creative partner, Eike Schultz, who is the co-writer of Victoria, um, a series that's called Spiti Life. And you will know about it very soon. (laughs) (laughs) I think I already live a Spiti Life somewhat. (laughs) Um, But no, but you have a really impressive roster of companies that you've worked with like Billings, Homegrown, HelloFresh. Um, and then you've also got huge players like Nike, Adidas, Volkswagen, etc. Um, 
how do you remain grounded when you have people like that knocking at your door and not start getting an attitude about your work? Well, it's actually a very interesting question. Like I, I, I personally think that if you work as a production company in the advertising world, no matter, no matter how big or small you are, you're, you're still offering a service. So you're just like a fucking service provider in that moment. So whatever the company is, they just want to, uh, use your service, pay as little as possible and make it happen. So it's actually, I don't, I don't put my ego into, into advertising at all. I, yeah, I, I just like, I, I really, I'm really fascinated and I'm really in love with the creative process. So no matter who the person or the company is, if you manage to create, uh, something that attracts the attention and attracts the energy and the positivity of people around you, that's something that makes me feel great. It doesn't make me feel the best, of, the best in the world. Maybe for a couple of minutes. Yes, it does. But in general, I think that this is what attracts me. Nice. Well, one thing I really liked that you say, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here is that, um, we're not disruptive. We know what we're doing and we do it well. Uh, and I can really get on board with that only because the straightforwardness and possibly it's being a northerner, which helps, but also because you see so many places these days, especially in the tech and startup scene saying, oh, we're, we're disruptive doing this, that and the other. And fundamentally, they're just saying the same thing. Is that what you're trying to avoid, like cutting through the bullshit, basically? Yeah, I... Actually, uh, I started when I moved to, Ber to Berlin 10 years ago, I started working in the startup industry and I was lucky enough to be, to be basically the first employee of a startup that then became successful after two years of work. So mm. it basically exploded and I, I had to deal with a lot of those networking events where you go there and you have people coming up to you asking, so what do you do? Is it your business capable? What are you, wh wh what's, uh, uh, what is the innovation that you, that you're bringing? And, um, everyone, uh, wanted to be the Airbnb of something or the Uber of something. Yeah, yeah. In my case, after working for another company as country manager for Germany, um, and launching this, this, this business, uh, from scratch, basically, um, I, I really learned that, okay, what I want to do is quality work. And, and quality and creativity is something that doesn't come from a scalable process. You cannot scale creativity. Uh, it, it comes from like a very slow, uh, process mm -hmm. of growth together with the, with the network, with the community. Uh, and there is a lot of, a lot of like gut feelings that, that go into that, a lot of personal taste. So what you read in the morning is going to influence the artist that you're going to propose a pitch to or the person you're going to hire for um, composing uh, a soundtrack. So for this reason, I don't want to disrupt anything. I just, I really, for me, like the, the most important thing, especially pushing a business forward is to be very cautious about the process and to mm. enjoy the process and to embrace the pain as well. So I don't want to disrupt anything. I just want to do my thing. Yeah. So I think it's a good, uh, good way to live. <laughs> um, I remember you saying you work best under pressure or when there's obstacles actually. So have you found it working with the biggest obstacle known to man, which is COVID? <laughs> um, well, it's, it was definitely tough. It makes you, it makes you think about, uh, your position in life, your position in the world. It makes you really reconsider your impact. Uh, it, it makes you think about your routine. It makes you think, it, it makes you think about the fact that you live in, in between like, uh, concrete walls. And it was tough. Like in, uh, in my industry, in our industry, it was really, uh, challenging, but, um, yeah, like I, I really started to, to set new habits into my life. I, I really I became more creative in a way. I found, I, I started also a podcast myself that was never published till now. I'm going to publish <laughs> and I'm, maybe this is going to be like a reason why, like a motivation for me to publish it. 
but for me, like the way to to cope with uh, with this incredibly intense situation was to really get creative. It's like the old adage: uh, necessity is a mother of invention. And I think that's really played a part. I mean, definitely for me during COVID, like the work that we've been doing as well, it it helped uh, in some ways to become more creative. Obviously, it was tough, but we got there. As I briefly mentioned earlier, we've been planning this for two years. Uh, and in line with the impolite name, the ice cream that I made all that time ago was based on a very impolite scene in the film in which there's one particular scene where a pregnant woman uh, takes a chocolate biscuit and squirts breast milk fresh from the teat, so to say. Um, so I did do some homemade chocolate biscuits topped with fiorda latte, which means flour of milk, gelato. And I did that because, well, gelato, of course, because the film is Italian and takes place in Rome. But I thought it also might be nice to give Lorenzo a little taste of home, seeing as we were in lockdown. Um, do you remember the gelato? Did you like it? I loved it. <laughs> so we, we were in the office and we we really like, uh, I, I, I also gave it to my to, to my team. And we, we really like um, took pieces of. Uh, of cookie and put it in a glass and nicely, nicely put the fiorilatte gelato on it. And it was amazing. And like, I really, really was in love with it. Means well welcome done. from a, a real Italian. <laughs> have <laughs> well you, done. have you tried making your own gelato before? Never, never ever. And you're from uh, Milan originally, right? Yeah, I was born in, in Milan, but my family is from all over the place. Okay. Did you study in I Milan? I studied in Milan, yes. Because I remember you saying that you studied film. Did you do film at uni? Do you have an academic background in it? I didn't study film. I studied communication, cinema, and new media. Right. At, uh, at like one of the universities in Milan. I was thinking at some point to study to study film. And I remember that I, that I got in touch with um, the, the film academy in Rome, Centro Sperimentale, which is like the biggest in Italy and one of the most important in the world. And I, and I wanted to study directing. So I called him and I spoke with the secretary and I was like, okay, um, I, uh, I would like to, I would like to, to apply to study, to study directing. And the secretary told me, why, why are you doing that? And I'm like, yeah, because I would like to, to learn from the best. You know, I would, I would like to become a director at some point, but you don't need to study that. Why don't you become an electrician? If you're a director, you're never going to have a job. You're going to be jobless forever be an electrician. And then in that moment, I, I decided not to apply for any fucking film academy. <laughs> <laughs> but why was it directing in particular? Is that the, the aspect of filmmaking that, that inspired you the most? I, I, I was, since when I was a kid, I wanted to, I wanted to direct. I didn't really know what that meant, but I was a young actor in theater. Uh, and I saw the director and I, and I was fascinated by the fact that a director was creating the entire world. It was, was like, was directing every single gesture and tone of voice and faces expression of the actors. And he had a saying on everything, on the lights on on the props that you have on stage. Uh, and it was really, really like super fascinating for me. Like I, I, I Probably like, I, I think that every artist, every actor, every director, every person working in, in our business in a way has some sort of, is, is like in a way a sociopath. So basically you have to feel something missing within you. And in my case, it was my, my ego. I just needed to feed my ego. And I thought that that was the best thing to do, like creating your own thing. I didn't want to watch my, I didn't want to watch the movies of others. I, I, I thought I want to watch my own movies. Yeah. And so that was the first step. Like I started writing and writing a lot and I spent years writing because I, I didn't have the money to, 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 to buy a camera because I didn't know what, what that meant to have a camera and sure. shoot. So that was the first step. And is it still the part of the filmmaking process that you find most interesting directing or have you gone more into, you know, script and for example, or cinematography or. I really, I, 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 the, everything is amazing about <laughs> like it. I, I, I sound very, very Perfect cheesy. Answer. No, 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 I totally agree. <laughs> I, it's, yeah, it's very cheesy to say. And of course, like it's, it's easy to say it after 
like when you're not in a pro maybe if I was in pre-production right now I would have I would have said something <laughs> different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um it's great it's it's such an incredible thing. And directing is of course like the the most fascinating one because you have uh, a huge responsibility which is mainly creative responsibility and and you you have to make it happen you have to push your vision through a lot of people that are going to tell you no it's not possible no we mm -hmm. cannot do it we don't have the budget this is physically impossible to achieve so i i'm really really fascinated by the act of really pushing through an idea uh, that doesn't exist and you have to make 100 150 people believe that that's actually going to work it's a common storyline i think with a lot of filmmakers in particular that to get stuff done you just have to do it you know stop thinking stop trying to do it just do it yeah just before you came in you were mentioning a, a carmen project that you're working on right now uh, just give us a little little round for that yeah thank you for asking this very <laughs> spontaneously <laughs> Um, but it's a very, it's a very dear project to me. We started in, uh, last year, December, and we uh, premiered it on Nowness in July. Uh, and basically, uh, the Canon project is the United Nations for space. Mm -hmm. And the, the um, founder of the Common project is one of the most influential and most ambitious and most interesting women on the planet. Her name is Helen Ubi. Uh, she used to be the vice president uh, of Airbus or Mission Orion. Uh, and now she, she created another company called the Exploration Company. So she's considered as like the Elon Musk of, of Europe, basically. Okay. Uh, she came up to me and she said, we have the, we have the common project exists since like pretty much one year or so. We need to give a voice to this, to this thing. Uh, we would like you to, to create a documentary about it. So the common project puts together, I'm, I'm, I'm doing like the pitch of what the common project <laughs> is right now. an elevator. <laughs> this is your pitch. Elevator, I do like, I, I cut it like super, super short. Um, the common project puts together the most influential people in space from geopolitical areas that are usually not communicating, um, for example, Russia with the US mm -hmm. uh, or with China and creating the, those connections, uh, they, they make it possible that smaller space agencies or private entrepreneurs can actually access space uh, and create something that can impact uh, the world primarily because space is actually helping monitoring um, climate change for example yeah so basically like the mission was create something that's appealing for um, a target of scientists and artists and that talks about space and that talks about climate change and that talks about space governance. So like it, it, it was like a big, big idea and it was during the pandemic. So what we did was, uh, was a deconstructed documentary that lives on a platform media.commonproject.org. And we created, uh, four chapters, each one with interviews with astronauts like Thomas Pesquet, which is the commander of the International Space Station. Mm -hmm or people from from SpaceX or from uh, the European Space, Space Agency, Jean-Jacques Dordain, which is the former director of the European Space Agency or Nobel Prize Committee, talking about how space is impacting the world and talking about their own point of view on, on those new matters. But since we were talking also with artists, we decided to create a series of four films, artistic interpretation of space uh, agenda points. Oh, cool. And so we produced those four films around the world. And, and we just relaunched everything in July. Cool. Give me a code and I'll watch them. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, well, it sounds like you got to uh, talk to a lot of cool people, listen to some great stories and stuff. Um, which is why I'm doing this podcast. And now please appreciate that seamless transition because <laughs> what I'd like to ask you is, Lorenzo, are you a flicker or a scooper? 
I'm totally scooper, man. You totally scooper. You scoop. prefer ice cream to films? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> I like that you just jumped straight in feet first to that question. I didn't people, know. people are usually uh, very confused by the question. So basically, <laughs> flicks. Flicks is a slang term for uh, films and scoops, obviously being scoops of ice cream. Really? Yeah. I didn't know so that. if you if you could live in a world without ice cream or films, you would rather live in an in a world without ice cream. Um, I mean, like, yes, but not your ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> well said, well said. See it. <laughs> um, do you prefer your ice cream in a cup or a cone? Cone. Cone? Yeah. Even with gelato? Yeah. What is the difference between gelato and ice cream? So, uh, gelato doesn't have any eggs in it, and it also has a lot less air in it, which is why it tastes so much better because it's, it's a lot more dense and it's a higher fat content and fat being a flavor transporter means that it has a, a much more rich flavor on the tongue than like custard based ice cream, which is why I prefer it, but it's so much more difficult to make. You need like a proper old school gelato maker to do it properly, which is expensive and difficult to get your hands on. So I'm, I like your enthusiasm, but I know for a fact that my, my gelato is absolutely nowhere near as good as, as what you can get. What's your favorite ice cream flavor? So at the moment, I really, really love the, um, I have to name a competitor. Can I name a competitor of you? Please. Vanille Marille. Really? I really like the blueberry, blueberry cheesecake. Okay, that's taken me a bit by surprise, actually. I thought you would have been a, a duo guy. The, the Sicilian ice cream. Never tried. Really? Not not to name too many competitors, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll go try duo. Yeah. Um, is, uh, in, when you go to the cinema, do you usually snack? Uh, not always, no. If you do, is it ice cream or more popcorn? I usually have popcorn. Yeah, the salty ones. But <laughs> <laughs> when they start selling flicks and scoops <laughs> in cinemas. <laughs> exactly. I mean like if there was flicks and scoops in cinemas, I would have totally gone for like a nice a, a, a good old Fior di Latte gelato <laughs> flicks and scoops. Just to cinema. confirm, I have not paid Lorenzo to say any of this. <laughs> um, do you go to the cinema often when they're open when you can? Um, not super often. I think like once a month. Okay. But you watch a lot of films still? Or? Yeah. When I, when I'm not, when I'm not in production. So when I don't go crazy, I watch, I watch quite, quite a lot of films. Yeah. Do you find it difficult when you are in production to watch films because there's too much influence? Because I'm just, um, I don't know. I cannot, I cannot focus for more than two minutes right. on something. <laughs> <laughs> I know that something's going to come up that you need to solve. So I'm like, okay, I'm not enjoying the movie. Yeah. It's a very purist approach. I like it. I can't be disturbed watching a film. <laughs> Why did you choose uh, Favalache? So I, I am, I'm genuinely in love with, uh, with the directors mainly because those guys are like the dream of every filmmaker that didn't go to a fucking film school okay. and that doesn't have like a privileged background and they are incredible storytellers. I, I love the first film. Uh, when I watched the second film that was actually suggested to me by uh, Giampiero Ringel, which is a Wim Wenders uh, producer, former associate. I was like, okay, this movie must be really good. <laughs> yeah, right. And I just love, like, I know, I, I think that in order to, to understand the movie itself, uh, you need to be Italian because there are, there are some, and, and I'm not talking about the language. I'm, I'm more talking about like, there are some social topics that they touch very, sometimes gently, some, sometimes in a very eccentric way that are really like understandable. If you, if you come from that society, if you grew up in that culture. Uh, but I think that, yeah, like it's, uh, even though th there are for sure, like some, some weaknesses in the, in the plot, especially if you watch it more, more than once, mm -hmm. 
uh, I think that I'm, I'm, I really admire those, those directors. Those guys are, are like sons of a, of a fisherman. They have no, they did like their, 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 their family, like never, never told them anything about making movies. Right. Probably it was, it, it was the opposite. You know, like if you do art, you're weak, you're not a man. I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong, but those guys thought themselves mm-hmm. to do, to, to paint, to write, uh, poetry, to, to write scripts and then to direct and what they came up with is, is very, is very relevant. I think. Are they quite well renowned in Italy then? Cause I must admit, this is the first film of theirs that I'd, that I'd seen. Um, I've not heard of them before, but are they, are they quite big then? The, I think that they're still not very big, but they're getting, they're getting there. Yeah. They're getting there. Do you remember the first time that you saw it? Yeah. Was it a very memorable experience or not so much? <laughs> <laughs> the first time was memorable. The first time was definitely memorable. I really loved it. Like the, the first time that I watched it was definitely much better than the second time. Uh, and the third time I watched it, uh, because of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to make you do homework. <laughs> no, but I, I love that feeling when you watch something with fresh eyes and everything's new and like, you're not sure what's going to happen and stuff. It's really uh, invigorating experience. But, uh, I can't remember when I watched Yeah, I think I watched it at home, sadly, uh, cause the BFI were doing some sort of virtual film festival um which is sad i mean it's it's good that they were doing it but it's sad because you can't beat the the cinematic experience has the film had an influence on your life at all i think that uh whenever i see something that i consider admirable uh and then i i i always like to go like behind the scene in a way so i'm like okay i really this, this movie moved something within, within myself, mm-hmm. who did it, why did they do it? And like, the more I started like digging into, into, into the story of the directors and, uh, I don't know, I started thinking about Pasolini. I started thinking about Fellini. I really, I, I think that probably made, made me feel, um, the urgency of creating something or of writing something or pu- of pushing my own creative, uh, ideas. Does that happen to you a lot when you watch films? With some films, it definitely happens. Yes, because it it's uh, it makes me think. Okay, it, it's time to make a feature. Like, okay, I have a feature documentary uh, done, but it's uh, it's it's an, it's a different thing. I don't know. It's it was like uh, I think that making making like your feature your fictional feature debut is the dream of every filmmaker, and like seeing young the young generation creating something incredible. It's it definitely, it's definitely inspiring. It's an interesting answer because I don't think it's had an effect on my life, but it's another film that I see that makes me desperately want to use those vintage anamorphic lenses. <laughs> and you get really nice, like almost distortion uh, around the edge of the picture, like chromatic aberration. And I think it just adds a really nice touch to it but like color specifically, but also because it almost focuses your your attention more on what's happening in the frame. Uh, and I looked at the name because I wanted to see if you'd use them. Hawk Vintage Seventy Four. Oh, wow, have, yeah. have, have you used them? I never used them. No, I'm very keen to. Favalache takes a lot of influence from fairy tales, which often have a, a moral to the story. What do you think the moral of this story is? That we're all going to die miserably. <laughs> <laughs> I think that um, the moral of the story is that if we don't pay attention to what we are teaching to the young generation, everything is going to go to shit. Agreed. In my notes, I'll put, don't treat your kids like objects. It sort of highlights what a lack of communication or proper communication can do like none of the parents know how to act with their kids and the, the kids themselves have more genuine interaction with each other but it still seems very stilted almost like it just sort of lingers there i guess um and to be fair a lot of the uh, what they call the germans the grim fairy tales uh, didn't really have morals uh, and i think it's a lot closer to those than i grew up with what are the fairy tales in Italy like? Uh, I, 
uh, I know a lot of a lot of like there are a lot of legends that uh, that, that are that comes like from from like the times when there was no when people didn't know how to like, uh, to to read and to write. Okay. And so like people were more kind of like started like telling stories of 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 people that came before them and those and those stories at some point became became true like this is what what i can think of italian fairy tales there are also of course like other fairy tales there is like pinocchio is probably like the the most the most famous one uh but the ones that come from like the 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 village are definitely those stories the story of the man who was stealing the figs from plant and then something happened and then this man became a donkey you know like okay. <laughs> something that <laughs> something that has to teach something to, to to the next generation in a very visual way yeah okay um did favelache challenge your moral framework or beliefs no totally not <laughs> nice and concise <laughs> no I, to be fair i wouldn't i wouldn't say that it did mine either um but the, the the one thing that did challenge me which i think it uses to good effects is it highlights your um your preconceptions or misconceptions it's i think it's a really effective use of the medium of film because it just highlights really specific parts of a person's body like uh, teeth, tattoos, bruised legs, whatever. And it, I think it's really efficient storytelling because it makes you piece together this character's backstory within seconds. But then it leaves you feeling a bit uneasy because you jump to all these conclusions and you've got nothing to base it on other than just these snippets of, of a person. So I think like, it's quite natural, a reaction, because we, we do that in life anyway. Um, but it's hard not to make assumptions. And I think that kind of caught me off guard a bit, finding myself doing that in a film, you know? So I have a question for you. What is the, what um, is the scene? What is the scene that you hate the most? The scene that I hate the most? Do you know, I think I, I both love it and hate it in equal measure, but it would probably be the, uh, the sex scene because I think even though it really plays well into this, awkwardness it at the same time it offered a bit of comic relief when the kid just takes off running trying to psych himself up to perform what, what was yours the one that i hate the most yeah i think it's the same honestly uh because it felt like it felt like it's it was placed there with the, the aim of a teasing you know like it, it was totally not necessary to have it it could have been much, much shorter. Like it could have been like, uh, but like they just, they just like kept there long because it, they're, they're, it's like a middle finger that they wanted to give to the audience. And like, I, I didn't take it nicely. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like having the, getting, getting the bird flip. <laughs> it was like a little bit, but I, t I totally, I totally understand why they did it. And do you think they were trying to be intentionally provocative or is it more just a byproduct of the film that they've made? I think, I think that for some people that understand the film, um, it can, it can piss them off a lot. And I, I, th I think that, and, and this, and this is my, my, let's say my idea of it or my theory, um, for people that come from this background as the, the, you know, Dino Chance brothers, uh, do like creating something like this, the talk that, that, that's talking about the own world because those guys come from the, the, the suburbs of, of the city of Rome, which are like very, sometimes very poor, uh, and where like people are really not, let's say open-minded or not very often open-minded. Um, so the, they, they took like the courage of, of telling those stories and, uh, explaining in a very, in a very over the top Fellinian way, their worries. So for, for, for people from those areas that understand what's going on, that that's definitely something that should awake something in, in inside them. It's a tip. They're going to probably be pissed off or they're going to laugh about them yeah. if they, if they are like funny enough to laugh about themselves. And these, these suburbs of Rome, is it, is it those suburbs specifically or do those kinds of suburbs exist outside of Rome? Was it was it specifically that one that they were trying to 
trying to make a comment on? It's more of a of a general like I I, I think that they took like the experience of the ex family like middle lower class family living outside of the city um, and they and they just like uh, injected steroids in the, in in that story in order to create what they what they created in the end so it's not like they don't talk about one specific area but mm. they just more kind of do something more general yeah right a lot of reviewers have said it's style over substance would you agree disagree can be but what, what is is that bad i mean like i i, I listen to and it's it very it's now very common a uh, critique to to have about like a film or a video it's style over substance yeah but like i i really i really think that sometimes it's it's just it's just fun to have it if you if you would have stopped the style over substance fellini wouldn't wouldn't have existed at all like Fellini's movies could have been instead of three hours and a half, just like half an hour sometimes. Mm. But you just just there, and you just have to sometimes enjoy. You enjoy this this like fucking scene of the of this dinner of the family outside of the house when like the 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 uh, the kids have to say which rates they have, uh, or the moment when there is I think it was the father that couldn't breathe anymore. Or the, or the son that couldn't breathe anymore when, when he was eating. And and the thing goes on and on and on and on and on. And it, like, I don't know, it's, it's, it's really, for, for, for me, it's, it's enjoyable. No, I think you're right. I think in a lot of ways, the, the substance can be the style. And I think, like, like you mentioned, a lot of people say style, substance, style, substance. It's become shorthand for, for somebody saying that they don't like a film. And I'm probably guilty of doing it myself, to be honest. But a, f- a film can just be an experience. And I think for the most part, that's probably what Favalache is. I can't totally relate because obviously I didn't grow up in these suburbs. And like you said, I think you have to be Italian to, to fully understand it. But I think they craft that experience quite well. What do you think mainly it is about being Italian that helps you understand it more? Is it just like the mindset of living growing up in that in that country yeah and understanding like why people do certain things or like kind of it's it uh you're not surprised when you see it okay so it's uh when you see the guy who's jealous of the of the neighbor because of the swimming pool or the the, the father who's ashamed because the, the the daughter has those flies in in her uh, hair and so they have to they have to shave her head mm. and, and and he's he's ashamed of that. I don't know, like those those like small things, like that you always have, you have your your small little micro society where you live in, and you are not collaborating with the with the people around you, and you end up like living in this like very fake environment, which very often like the village outside of the big of the big cities everywhere in the world. But yeah, in Italy there is this 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 need of over communication that it's very folkloristic, but at the same time for an Italian, it's there. You don't know that it, that it exists until a person is like pointing it out. Mm. So for this reason, I think that, yeah, if you, if you're, if you grow up in that culture, if you grow up seeing people communicating that way, you can understand the film a little bit better. Yeah, sure. Um, which character do you relate to, if any? Or is there anything in the film that particularly resonates with you or reminds you of something in your own life? <laughs> Dangerous <laughs> question. <laughs> <laughs> Let me think about it. I don't know. I mean, like... it's. Would like you a- even want to relate to any of them? <laughs> oh, my God. Um... Right. Maybe, maybe like the, I can imagine um, that I like s- at some point when I was younger, I, I, I was probably like jealous of, of another person who was doing something that I wanted to do. Mm. 
as much as the the guy who was jealous of the of the of the swimming pool of the of the neighbor yeah uh, and I think that that's very interesting because like in that case the neighbor who's like the um, jobless guy uh, cannot afford to have the the swimming pool just to show off yeah like it it shows like a little bit of this like attachment to material stuff I don't know probably I had that no it's it's an interesting answer because of all the situations uh, I sympathize with this feeling of because I grew up in a small village, so this this environment where other people's opinions and expectations matter more than they actually do was quite familiar to me. And I think, luckily, I, did, I avoided it with my mum and dad. They were not like that at all. But I know other people that I grew up with definitely had their parents pinning their own hopes onto the kids. Um, so they had to deal with that. What do you think the importance of the narrator is? I think that it's it's just it's just a way to not focus too much on one of the characters. So like probably they wanted to give the characters all like the same weight in a in a in a way. And so in that case you need to have a narrator. Right. And I think it works. What do you think? I love the line, this is inspired by a true story that was inspired by a false story that was not very inspired at all. Um, <laughs> maybe I missed the meaning of what he was saying, but from one point I thought, I actually thought the narrator let the film down because uh, I'm not sure it was totally necessary. Right. But I mean, the point that you raised there about giving everyone a fair roll of the dice makes sense. Um, but it sets up this framework of it being a, a fable but then I think this whole thing about finding a girl's diary and then is he, is he supposed to be an unreliable narrator? I don't know. I just thought it was a bit, it confused me, if anything. I mean, like <laughs> the, na- the narrator is in the end, one of the kids uh, who dies in the end, right? Uh-huh. So basically, I think that giving, like the, the kids are the only ones that are passive throughout the entire thing. The only active thing that they do is killing themselves in the end. Um, the, this democratizes a little bit the shit that happens around them. And you don't, you never see them acting. You never see them, like you don't see them creating the bomb. The only thing that Mm -hmm. they, they, uh, like very, um, very like awkwardly try to do is to have like a sexual intercourse. <laughs> okay, well, I, that totally went over my head. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you clarified that for me. <laughs> um, why do you think it won best script at the Berlinale? I don't know. This is something that I don't know. I really don't know what, what happens uh, in those, in those like rooms. One of them gets the gold and one of them gets the silver and one of them gets the bronze. Well, I was asking you in the hope that you'd be able to shed some light on it for me because I've got no idea how scripts are even judged. Because like, I always wonder if they're delivered to the jury, um, whether it's the original script, which basically is, just serves to function as a, uh, as a shooting guideline, or if they get a script that more closely resembles the finished product, which is more just like a transcript of the, the film itself. Um, and then how you would judge from that, I have no idea. I, I think that it's, uh, I mean, like when I, when, I don't know if, if, if it happens to you to say, wow, like after you watch a movie, you say, wow, that was a great script. That was written well. It's, it was well balanced. Uh, it was, I don't know, it, um, it was taking care of every, every single thing. So I, 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 I really think that it's like that. Yeah. And like, probably the script was, was very different at the beginning and the editor did some magic and created what that, that tales is right now. I mean, like, it's definitely like a very special, a very special thing. And those guys are really good. Like the, they, they wrote, uh, Dogman, the movie, uh, by Garrone. It's uh, which is another really awesomely written f- film, but yeah, I really think that the judgment depends a lot on what the production company is behind <laughs> and um, the mood of the of the artistic director and what 
the media need to know and need to have. Like consider that maybe like um, a movie, like a German movie wins or is selected because maybe there is a new artistic director that doesn't come from Germany, uh, who's now the director of the whatever film festival, you know? Yeah, so it's very political also like the choice of who wins and who doesn't. I like the cynicism at the end there because the script itself seems quite cynical towards the process of, of <laughs> being a script because it, 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 even the narrator apologizes for the senselessness of the, of the stories. This, the last you loved her. You loved the film. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the last question, I realized I probably sprung on you quite late. I'm not sure if it was included in the first round, but I usually ask guests to give me their favorite fact or piece of trivia about the film. Do you have any? And if not, not a problem. <laughs> about the film? Yeah. Um, yeah. Can tell you like the uh so the first the first time that i watched the movie uh, as i as i told you i loved it and i was like yeah messaging my friends hey you don't understand shit <laughs> you have to watch Pavolace. uh it's great it's amazing and so i i wanted to uh show this to two very good friends of mine who happened to be uh, a writer and a director and like they are really good at what they do mm. um so it's it's like a w whenever like we we watch a movie like choosing the right movie is is like the thing okay if the if if the group is is saying okay the movie's great uh it means that you know about cinema so okay, okay. <laughs> there's a lot riding on your choice exactly so, like yeah. okay tonight so tonight we watch favolaccia guys like it's great they're going to really love it. I'm not saying anything, but it's pretty decent. Uh, and we watched it and they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> so we started like having, having like a, um, a discussion about it. Uh, and yeah, for them, it was definitely, it was, it was definitely a lot of uh, the directors were like jerking off. Uh, right, I get that. And... So yeah, it was, uh, it was like a funny, funny moment. I was like, and, but I, the, the, the funny part is that I was really, uh, I was having the same impression while I was watching the movie. I was thinking, all oh, right, I didn't see that. I didn't mm. see it this way. Maybe like, oh, so it changed quite drastically for you on a second viewing. Then. Yeah. I mean, like I, I don't get me wrong. I, I love the movie. Mm. I still love it. But the magic that I had the first time that I watched it. It was not there the second time, but I'm, I'm super in love. I really hope that the, the, the Innocenzo brothers are going to listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> me, me too. <laughs> How long did it take for you to claw your reputation back with your, with your friend after that? <laughs> uh, okay, well, this is going to sound so stupid after that, but my, <laughs> my piece of trivia was that Leo Germano said that the haircut that he sports in the film is based on uh, Francesco Totti's, at the time, new haircut. <laughs> have, you, have you ever had a footballer's haircut? Uh, not really. No, no. Once for fun, we we had the we had this Ronaldo famous uh, haircuts. You know, with the, the, like your your head is like completely shaved, but you have like small like half me. Oh yeah, yeah. On, on top of your forehead, yeah, yeah. That, but it was like really for one day because my mother really get so pissed, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I had to shave it off. I remember so many kids getting sent home from school because they had the Beckham. Oh yes. Haircut. Anyway, uh, not to get sidetracked, but that's that's everything on the podcast. The last thing to do, you've got one more task. So you know how films are usually rated out of five stars. Well, forget everything that you know about that. Because on Flicks and Scoops, we rate films out of five scoops. So Lorenzo is going to give Favolace three scoops and a half. No, I cannot do three. I cannot do and a half. No, you've got a round up or down, I'm afraid. Five. So I would say four then. Four, four scoops. Yep. Yes. It's, it's, it's not. I don't know. Like for me, five, five scoops is... Uh, Vitelloni by Fellini. Okay. I don't know, like, I, I have, uh, th there are like other, other, other movies that I love more. 
Yeah. But definitely this one is is really good. And considering that it's the sec just the second film of two young directors, it's really worth watching and learning from their spirit and their their will to communicate. Totally. So it's really totally. Four sounds four sounds right for me as well. Solid film. I thought that you would have said two. <laughs> no, I really liked it actually. Really liked it. Um I think after having watched it again, I definitely liked it less. But the change wasn't as drastic as with you, I don't think. So basically, this is a this is a suggestion to the management of the directors: sell the movie for one, like the next movie for one 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 times watching. <laughs> the disc explodes after you've seen it once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have it on uh, on like Netflix. So you can watch it only one time. You need to change account if you want to watch it the second time. You heard it here first. One one watch films. Um, well, thanks so much for coming. Is there anything you want to plug before we leave? Like, where can we see about this Carmen project on your website, that kind of thing? Oh, it's um, no. I, I I'm actually really happy that you invited me here. Uh, I love your your drive. I love your ice cream. I love what you're putting together. It's really really inspiring for me. So keep doing that and. Uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next flicks and scoops. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Grazie molto to Lorenzo for coming on the show and big love to everyone who's listened to Flicks and Scoops this year and especially those who managed to make it out to the pop-up shops over the summer. Subscribe to the Flicks and Scoops podcast on your preferred listening platform so you're all raring to go with us in the new year and keep an eye on all the socials at Flicks and Scoops so you know when new episodes, recipes and pop-ups are coming. Happy smile it is! Now it's time for ice cream. And you can get it right here. Ice, 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 ice cream.